Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Pin Count, shortly following the Apple September keynote. Yep, we've uh, just finished watching it about uh, 15 minutes ago, and yeah, maybe we're jumping on the bandwagon a bit, but there's loads of interesting tech details for us to speculate about and uh, be proven wrong in a few months' time when an Antec or someone gets out a really in-depth look at some of this stuff. So let's maybe start with some of the things that weren't announced, which is slightly interesting, and that's new Macs. There was nothing there. I mean, we didn't really expect them to announce it here, but not even a mention of them. Yeah, a bit disappointing, really. Yeah. Uh, I kind of wonder there, with, with slight fear, if they're waiting for AMD to announce their new mobile parts. Yeah, I mean, just with the the way the releases are sort of set out for the future, they're both, AMD's new Zen mobile parts are going to appear in January, and the rest of the KB Lakes would be suitable for use in Macs, or Intel KB Lakes, they're going to be January as well, so they could be waiting for either. Um, I mean, given the performance of the chip in the new iPhone, the CPU that we'll talk about in a bit, Maybe they should just put one of those in a Mac and be done with it. Yeah, I just realised we're not we're not doing follow up, but there's some important follow up. And uh, tonight's beer or beer is a uh, Southfield Hop from the Bristol Beer Factory. Just nice. So better uh, mention that. Is that your third or fourth one? What the first? <laughs> Honestly. This hour, okay. <laughs> this hour today. Had to think a bit too long there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I I think. Because anyone listening to this, they've probably read all the Apple news and heard anything, so I think if either of us catches the other one talking about anything that anyone else is likely to talk about in this mo- in similar levels of detail, we should just stop that nonsense and go yeah. get, get on only on the nitty gritty. Yep. Um, so we've we've got uh, two new watches and two new phones. I think that's pretty much it to talk about. Yeah. To be honest, the watches, I don't think there's much exciting there. Oh, I think there's some interesting stuff. Apart from the dual CPU and the extra waterproofing? Well, do you notice I said two new watches? The ceramic one or the old one getting the upgrade? The old one gets the new, the new uh, SOC, so, which is quite interesting. Uh, do you um, think that's a sort of admission that the first one maybe wasn't powerful enough, even if the software situation wasn't that great and has only recently been addressed? No, nah, I think it's just a hassle for them to make. Uh, they just don't have the capacity to make, keep making uh, two loads of chips. Yeah. Um, the chip is interesting, right? Because they've they've gone to a dual core with fifty percent more performance. Uh, so that's basically probably two of the same cores, but maybe a little bit clocked down. Yep. Um, some penalty for the problems you have going to multi-processing, cache coherency, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They reckon twice the GPU as well. Okay. Um, and this made me think because the case isn't any bigger and the battery life wasn't mentioned, so it's probably the same. Uh, they've got a bit of a brighter screen and stuff, and the GPS, which is probably taking up a little bit of package space. So that made me think, how did they fit that all in, right? Yeah, it does seem um, like a lot of extra stuff. Right, so I did some, I did a bit of research quickly. Um, willing to be proven wrong, but I'll make some wild speculation here, and then uh, eventually someone will delete the one of the packages and get some nice images of them and stuff. But the the previous watch was done on a twenty eight nanometer process, which is actually quite large in this day and age. Uh, so I would guess that they're doing the S2 down at 16 nanometer at TSMC if I, if I was a betting man. Okay. So that that would that would account for the extra space they'd need for uh, more transistors for the GPU, more cores on the CPU, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And do you think if they're going for using the same chip in both watches, last year's are they calling it Series One and now Series yeah. Two? Um, if they're putting the same chip in both, do you think they've both actually got the GPS? Just it's turned off in the Series One. It would package. be 
yeah, it would be exceptionally surprising if they had um, different packages or the or the GP or the GPS isn't in the package. Yeah, it may have there may be antenna in the series two that aren't in the series one, okay. so there could be that as well. Uh, the screen brightness is interesting as well because off the top of my head, remembering the research I did for our episode a couple of episodes ago about displays, the brightness they're claiming for the the S two the series two is um, brighter than. Uh, even a Galaxy S7 okay. is normal max brightness, so like properly bright. I mean, that's quite impressive. Um, so one one of the things I noticed when I was using a Note 4, which has got a Samsung Super AMOLED display as my daily phone for a few months earlier in the year, is it is real good outside. It goes proper bright. It's, um, so that is probably a, a nice benefit. Yeah, if they're making Although, a push for the sort of health and fitness market, it's going to have to be good outside so you can actually check your steps or calories yeah. or whatever people check when they're running. But do you know what's good outside? My my pebbles good outside, and I don't have to charge it every day. So. Yeah, and it's got actual buttons, so I can play and pause my music without looking at it and stuff like that. Yeah. So still not tempted. Um, yeah, I'm not tempted either. The ceramic is interesting. I thought though. So the ceramic it replaces the edition um, yep. watches from last year, which were the gold ones that went up like they were ten, twenty thousand dollars. I didn't pay them much attention. To ten thousand dollars. This one's a lot cheaper. Yeah, it's just like twelve seventy five. I think people are saying or twelve fifty, something like that. Yeah, but you, I want a ceramic phone. That would be cool. Yeah, I wonder how big. I mean, like lots of um, mechanical watch manufacturers make watch cases. With a right, lot but of... someone's made a ceramic phone. Xiaomi's Mi Five, the highest end. Uh, skew of it was available in ceramic. Okay, I wonder how durable uh, it was in terms of drops and such like. Yeah, I would imagine there's no reason to expect it. It wouldn't be okay. There's a lot of tough ceramic things. I mean, ceramic can mean anything. It's yeah, it's very. Uh, it's like saying carbon fiber. That can mean all sorts of yeah. things depending on the resin and so on. But the main reason I think it's interesting, and the ceramic watch might actually be measurably better in some ways than the other ones, is it's radio transparent. So you'd get better better radio performance, better GPS performance. Um, I would expect, whether or not it's measurable, I don't know, but I would expect better Wi-Fi and Bluetooth performance, possibly lower power required. Yep. Uh, although, having on the flip side of that, most of the metal in an Apple Watch is uh, against your skin, and people block radio waves like nothing else. So. Yeah, and people uh, people also, like, some people get skin irritation with different metals against their skin, so it could be an improvement there as well. Mm. But I think like ceramic phone for the radio transparency would be uh, very interesting. But then, of course, that's what the previous iPhone 4s were with a glass pack. That's just a type, effectively a type of ceramic. Yeah. Um, any pedants want to write in wrong on the internet at pincountpodcast.com. Uh, so I think I think that's about all there is to say about the watch. Um, I, I've worn a smartwatch for ages. It still it kind of tempts me because I'd like to try Apple's take on it, but not enough to spend the money. Because yeah. as I say, in my Pebble's got a few killer features that the Apple Watch just can't match. Yeah, maybe the, uh, so, maybe the Series 3 will be the one for you. Yeah, although I don't think they'll ever do the thing that really matters to me about my Pebble. So the, the Pebble's got physical buttons on it. And if I press the one in the middle twice, that takes me to the music controls, and I press it again and it'll play and pause my music, and the top and bottom buttons will skip forward and backwards, you know, 30 or 15 seconds. And for me, that's a killer feature because I don't need to look at anything or tap a screen or anything to control my music so if I've got gloves on if I've got messy hands if I'm painting a ceiling if if I'm driving or riding my bike or running along or anything I can really easily pause my music or skip skip some adverts or whatever yep. you know 
Yeah, I mean, one of the, the I use a, a non GPS Garmin running watch. I use it on the bike, um, mostly just for gathering heart rate data and doing splits and such like. But the physical buttons are really useful there because, especially when your hands are muddy and it's wet and you're, you know, breathing as hard as you can, like being able to, like, you know, stop your lap time really easily is important to me. And I just don't think that's possible on a touch screen. That's one. Yeah, of the, I mean, that's one of the reasons I pretty much outright dismiss it. Right, I mean, we've all tried to use our phones with damp fingers, and like, doesn't doesn't work that great, does it? Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Some of the larger Garmin head units for sort of bicycle use, um, they have touchscreen functionality in them. I've never actually played with one. And Resistive touchscreens, though, so that's okay. That's totally yeah, fine. yeah, it'd be fine with the wet fingers, uh-huh. especially. But even even just like hitting the right part of it, you know, when um, things are critical. Right, I guess we should probably talk about iPhones. Um, I think it's worth mentioning when talking about iPhones why there's maybe uh, there's interesting tech here for everyone that loves Android because I would I would hope and expect that some of our listeners are big Android fans because we're into real geeky tech stuff and that a lot of Android people like that use Android phones for uh, lots of reasons. But um, whatever you think about Apple, and there are plenty of people that dislike Apple for various reasons and they, they can have their reasons, that's totally fine, but you cannot dispute the fact that they make the most popular product ever most profitable product ever uh, they have the most money to throw at the problem of making cool tech so they do do some interesting stuff so what do you think in the new iphone 7 and 7 plus that isn't the cpu and camera what else is exciting in this that's in the cpu and camera is about as we say camera um i'm just i'm just looking at my notes the, the wider color gamut in the display is nice yeah um but again, I think we talked about that previously in terms of um, when you were talking about displays a few episodes back. Um, yeah. It comes down to support by developers as well. It's fair enough putting yes. the display in, but if no one actually, if there's no images or none of the um, artwork that's actually used as part of a UI has uh, a large com- color gamut, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, and Apple's support is better than most because they handle all down at the OS level. But yeah, it's interesting that they didn't mention anything about adjusting the the color for the ambient light like they do in the ipad pro that was a bit disappointing that they didn't mention that yeah it'd be interesting to see if that's made it in or if that's something they're going to give us in the future or yeah um so i guess we could talk about battery life so the, the battery has got very slightly bigger i believe and the battery life is a bit better the i kind of uh, looked up the numbers on this and basically for kind of web browsing and video playback and things like that the iphone 7 will have the battery life of the 6s plus which okay. is quite a big deal because um, I've got an S Plus and I notice it to be significantly better than the standard size 6. But it's not it's not all like for like. Um, I think you've got 14 hours versus 24 hours of 3G talk time comparing the two and much more standby time. So the, the S Plus, the 6S Plus, the plus sizes are, even with even with the battery improvements, are still much better in standby and that's because i suspect it isn't actually battery improvements that are getting the battery life i think it's the much more powerful cpu yeah so they're just racing to idle quicker or they're using the the little low power cores for some tasks when there's not a lot happening and that's getting their power usage for web browsing and so on down but then the talk times we're seeing the 6s plus with bigger battery wins because it's just you're driving a cell radio and encoding some stuff and that's that's that part of the architecture probably hasn't changed much at all yeah it'll be interesting to see when we get the i fix it and analyst teardowns if that 
battery is actually bigger. There was a few leaks that showed a bigger battery, but small percentage amount bigger. And I guess that's like headphone space and uh, sorry, headphone port space and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're right. Most of the savings have come from making the actual electronics lower power. They probably recovered a bit of space with the uh, home button as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So an- another thing isn't the phone. The CPU is the water resistance. Um, they're saying it's IP67, so it's which is normally gets called waterproof, which is a bit, you know, it's a bit. So in the I, the IP code for water resistant standards, um, IP67 is dust. The, sorry, the six is dust, I think, and the no, the six is the six is water, and the seven is it, and the seven's dust. dust. So the and it's to do with uh, how much I'd have to look up the actual code, but six seven is something like a little bit of water for half an hour. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's one meter in the in the listing on the Wikipedia page, um, okay, yeah. and I think they they only they can really really see water resistance at that point. Yeah, immersion up to one meter depth, and I think Apple are just playing it cagey. You know. Yeah, I mean practically it is waterproof, but it's not waterproof in that you would go swimming with. Yeah, it. that's that's the differences. Yeah, it's you drop it in some water, it's fine. You get it wet in the rain, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- certainly their marketing were for the watch they were talking about being able to use it for swimming, and they showed us how they've tested it, and then for the phone. They had an advert for the, where they showed someone pl- using the phone in the rain. So they're kind of getting the message right before people start abusing it. Yeah, I thought I thought that actually they mentioned, going back to the watch briefly, they mentioned Swimproof and they've got this interesting design where they use the speaker to force the water out of the speaker cavity by driving the speaker. And uh, Paul Haddad, who makes the of Tatbot fame, made an interesting point that if you've got this active uh, functionality to make the thing waterproof. What happens if your battery runs out? Is it is it not waterproof properly anymore, or is it just wet inside until it next powers up? Yeah, I, um, I wonder if you know that active waterproofness. But is it emptying water out of the just the speaker cavity? Yeah, I think that's probably just it. It's probably actually sealed as far as the electronics yeah, are concerned. Yeah, it's just the the water in front of the speaker that would inhibit any sound. Um, so I think yeah, the internals of the phone will still be waterproof. I don't think it slowly seeps into the phone through the speaker. Yeah, so uh, what else was interesting well, so to you about the just, new iPhone? Just related to that waterproofness thing, um, Apple just released the new change logs for iOS 10 for the new things that weren't previously announced, and one of them is a water-resistance API for the watch. You can Yeah, that's interesting. So I think it's so you can query whether the, the phone is waterproof or not, so you can turn on or turn off swimming features in, say, a fitness oh, app course. or such like. Yeah, you don't want to say, dive in the pool now. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It could, <laughs> it it could disappoint it. quite a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. So there you go, pink out getting right into the APIs. Um, so I guess we've got to talk about the, the CPU and the camera. So go with the camera first. Yeah, so... Small camera I'm, first. So a, f- a few kind of... The headline features, it's gone from f1.8 to f2.2. Sorry, the other way around, 2.2 to 1.8. And uh, what does that mean practically? It means about 50% more light. Um, it's not it's not all good because you lose depth of field, of course, if you do that. So uh, I did some very quick sums before we started recording. And say you're taking a shot at um, two meter distance, then you're, you're kind of... The nearest point that's in focus on a 6S would be 55 centimeters away from you. Okay. And on a 7, uh, it'll be 64 centimeters away from you. So you've lost a little bit of depth of field. So it's focusing at 2 meters, it's, it's less apparent, but you will get much shallower depth of field focusing closer in. So it's 
it's a small difference, but it, it will be noticeable in some situations. But I've certainly found it has been noticeable over the years is that the phones have got lower apertures, that it is harder to take pictures of things really close up. Like you're taking a picture of just something sitting on your desk you know, while you're in your seat. It's got more and more difficult. I can remember I was trying to take a picture to send to you the other day or something, and it was, you know, I had to go quite a distance away and then crop the photo to actually get it to work. But, um, but yeah, so. That's that's a, possibly a slight disadvantage, but I mean, to be honest, from nearly all phone use, I would take the more light any day. Yeah, I would too, yeah. So the other interesting feature is optical image stabilisation. Now, they previously had this in the 6S Plus last year, um, and this is the first time it's made it to the regular-sized phone, so the 7 this year. You seem uh, unreasonably excited about this. Um, the only time I've had a shot of a 6 Plus and played with a camera, it did seem noticeably better in low light with it. You know? um, so I've, obviously I said earlier I've got a Plus, so you, you really notice it in video. It's very, very noticeable in video uh, that it stabilises a bit and that helps a lot. That's where I think the big benefits are. And yeah, in low light, like with a massive caveat that in, in low light, if your subject is not moving, then it is noticeably better. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not You're expecting taking... to take sports action shots at night or anything. Yeah. Uh, what I, but what I actually find is it kind of fights against you in some situations because if you're taking photos of people, I find in low light you're more likely to get a blurred person okay. with a sharp background because it, it will prefer a longer exposure because it knows it can keep the camera stable and gather the light, but that longer exposure doesn't help. Is is you know it's hurting you if the, if your subject is moving. Yeah. Whereas sometimes I'd rather it just ramped up the noise and froze the subject a bit sharper. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of these things. It's a bit like the um, aperture. It, it's an improvement in the sort of bigger picture, but in some areas, it is going to be a bit of a downside. Yeah, I'd rather, especially now they've bumped up the resolution, because you know how they do the kind of pixel binning. If it's really low light, you kind of lose resolution in favour of averaging the the light across more pixels. Yeah, you, you might have noticed that. There's a kind of if you're really nitpicking, there's a sort of noticeable point at which you obviously get a very noticeable resolution fall off, but you recover some more of the light. Yeah. And, yeah, so I guess the obvious thing is we've got two cameras here. We should probably talk about that a bit. Yeah, so the um, six, six, oh no, sorry, the 7 Plus now has a dual-lens camera. Uh, no, two cameras, if I'm being a pedant. It's, you, not, it's not two lenses, one camera, it's two cameras. Ah, yeah, right, you're right. You're correct, yes. <laughs> it's important to be precise. Um, they mentioned that the ISP has twice the image signal, pro- image signal processor has got... Yeah, uh, twice the throughput. Yeah, so but they then, made quite a bit of noise about that. Yes, that that was a bit funny. I was like, of course, it's got twice the throughput. You've got a phone that's got two cameras on it. It needs to. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they were even making the point that it's twice as fast on the um, the smaller size phone. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how much, if any, lag there is when you're zooming uh, from one camera to the other. Because in uh, existing Android phones that have dual lens cameras, um, oops, sorry, you made me say it, dual cameras. The Huawei P9, for example, which apparently takes amazing photos, but uh, the ones that is, uh, I think, an HTC that uses it for zooming, but there's a noticeable pause when you're switching cameras. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I wondered if, I mean, they seem to be using the dual lenses for their software-based depth of field. I wonder if they process the image from both lenses all the time, so there might not be a noticeable oh, lag. Well, so they would have to. So yeah. this is an interesting thing because it kind of how they're doing the uh, kind of fake depth of field effects that they're bringing out in the software update is interesting. So it's how they claim they did it, they're doing it, and how they might be doing it. Mm. So I, I have a bit of random speculation about this. I'd 
probably be able to study images from it and work out which they're doing but i'll kind of speculate how they might be doing this kind of ties into what they said so they showed pictures of creating a disparity map uh, using the two cameras to get the depth and recover the depth of information they called it a depth map it's i'd call it a disparity map it's where you um measure the difference in appearance of the same features in left and right images so you can tell how far away they are roughly speaking and then from that they can separate foreground from background and they can they can blur the background and get a nice sharp foreground image right so this nice shallow depth of field effect yeah and this this raises a few questions so the first one is how are they blurring the background because there's a couple ways i can think they can do this so for a start they only do this effect when you're in the uh the longer focal length camera right yeah because uh, then the longer focal length for the same aperture will have a shallower depth of field anyway so that's already straight off you're helping yep um and then if you've segmented the image into foreground and background then you think okay now i need to blur the background so they could just be doing that with filters on the gpu you know there's gaussian blurring features in the metal performance shaders i was checking just before we came on they could be doing it that way or they could be because they have such fast control of the camera it may just be you grab an image with your narrow field of view camera high resolution camera and then you you grab a you just grab a very out of focus shot with the wide angle yeah because that would get you a blurred image which you could then fuse if you've got the extrinsic calibration the difference between the two cameras you can uh, warp the pixels from this wide angle camera into the correct place in the, the narrow field of view camera and you could do it that way so you wouldn't actually have to blur the image you could use an actual blurred image which would of course be much better yeah uh, but then you, then you've got you've basically got two focal points one of the things i wondered about is whether that disparity map how oh what's the word like how many measurements of depth there is like as things get further in the background do they get more blurred or is there just a point where it decides this is the background and everything after that has the same blur right precisely so it's how are they segmenting it and typically the resolution of your disparity map is not quite as good as the resolution uh of your your camera yeah because the way the various there's various different ways you can do it but that's that's a rough approximation so if that's what they're doing and they're just using it as a cue to segment and they might also be using other cues as well so they might also use texture and color so they just use the disparity map maybe not at full resolution to hint which areas are closer and further and then segment them based just purely on the image data um, that's one way i'd think of doing it which might be more effective because then you can quick more quickly calculate a low resolution disparity map and then just take one input image and segment that um, if they're doing that then i'd expect it to be an imprecise segmentation so um, the obvious place to look to kind of spot that so i'll say this now in a call it and we can see if i'm right or wrong <laughs> would be look at the boundary edges of the foreground objects right so if i if i was taking a photo of you against a far away background in a real shallow depth of field image there'd be a perfectly sharp you know outline of you yeah. where you, every, every bit of you is in perfect focus the background is all blurred if the segmentation is lower resolution then i would expect um maybe some blurring around the edges of the foreground objects Does that makes sense so yeah so during the keynote there was a bit of discussion between a few people about this on twitter i'll see if i can find the tweets and put them in the show notes but okay, they were but... saying exactly what you were talking about where it looked like in one of the photos like the the man in the photo his ear was like as blurred as the background like there was almost yeah, so... like a line a sharp line there well that also could be you do get that as well though in in genuine images so if i if i shoot a, an image of you with a very shallow depth of field camera it's very likely i could probably only get one of your eyes in focus yeah. even um so it could just be that they are simulating that and that is actually correct yeah so I, i'm not 
the whole ear or whatever, if it's a large area, that would suggest that is the effect they're simulating, correctly or otherwise. I'm talking about like boundary pixels that would indicate a lower resolution or poor segmentation. Okay. Um, and it would be interesting. The it'd be interesting to try and fool it, right? Because if they are doing image-based segmentation using depth information to hint it, right? Then the way that you would try and fool it is you would keep color and texture similar in your foreground and background objects. And although you would need some texture or else feature matching for the stereo wouldn't work and you'd see if it could pull out the foreground and the background correctly where it wasn't distinct in a monocular image. That makes sense? Yep. Um, Basically choose a scene where if you as a human in a monocular image cannot tell the foreground and the background very well, can it tell it with a stereo? That would be... Uh, fun and games to uh, reverse engineer how they're doing it. So maybe I'll try that when I get my hands on one. Yeah. I get my hands on one. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, they're talking about releasing the phone and releasing the software support for this later in the camera. With I think they call it portrait mode. Um, it'd be interesting to get hold of a phone and get hold of the software and yeah, do exactly what you say, like reverse engineer it. I'm sure so plenty of people will be on the case quick enough. Plenty of people will. Whether or not they'll go into that, I don't know. I mean, that's the sort of odd thought I find I have, and not many other people do. But because uh, I because I also wonder are they doing more light field like techniques where um, it's less so that's very direct stereo measure the depth segment the image and split it that way and then either fake or real blur so that'd be interesting because you could determine the fake or real blur by the quality of the out of focus bright points yeah um, that's another thing you do so um, although ooh, thinking about it that might be tricky because the, so they have a they have a huge advantage in having a fixed aperture camera. Yep. in that any out-of-focus spots are perfectly round because they have a perfectly round aperture. Um, whereas the shape of the aperture defines the shape of your out-of-focus spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah people focus. try and make like fancy shaped out-of-focus yeah, lights precisely. in the background. Yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting to see the shape of their out-of-focus point light sources as well. That might tell us some interesting things. But um, f- fun and games. Um, so if, if anyone doesn't think we've gone deep enough on the speculation for a camera that isn't going to be released for another two weeks, email us <laughs> at wrongontheinternet at pincountpodcast.com. Um, I'd like to point out that the only way you can say that I'm wrong by emailing us if you're emailing to ask for my address to send me an iPhone 7 Plus. So, yeah, just, <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> throw that out there. Subtle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um but th- so just a final thing I wanted to say about the stereo cameras. Um as uh, Ben Evans pointed out on, on Twitter they've released a 3D camera now, right? If they're genuinely doing stereo. Uh it won't be a very good stereo camera. I've talked about this in a previous episode. I won't go into details now, but the basically uh the cameras are too close together to recover depth information uh, too far away. Yeah. But it is still depth information and if if you're getting disparity maps in hardware, so this depth information, that is a necessary step in recovering the six degrees of freedom pose of the phone, so for inside-out tracking for VR. So if, if you're trying to make tetherless VR where you can walk around, and this is the necessary first step, as I've talked about before. And even without VR, this suggests um, if we get API access to these disparity maps, and there's some super interesting applications that become possible with an iPhone. Like, I mean, imagine... Uh, panning your phone around the room and getting a 3D model of the room. That's that's now possible. Yeah, it'd be great for estate agents and such like. Or, yeah, just there's, there's a lot of fun stuff that'll be possible. I think. Um, be very interested to see how much low-level access is exposed to the two cameras. Yeah, yeah, it will be. Okay, shall we talk about the CPU? Yeah, I think we'll talk about the CPU and then that should uh, wrap us up with everything, I think. So, do you want to summarise the CPU? I've been looking up some facts on it. So, so they, they announced that they, they 
announced or initially sort of introduced the processor as being um, four core, uh, and then they sort of corrected that and said it was going to be this what we would know is an ARM big little layout where you have two big cores and two little cores. Uh, the idea of the big cores do most of the grunt work, high power state, and then the little cores are used for background processes, things that don't need as much power. And then depending on the mode you use the the big little features in, you can actually run all four cores at the same time if you do need that for anything. Yeah, the the interesting thing about this design is the thing that's hard, and Apple maybe have an advantage in their tight software integration, is what on earth do you do with the caches when you migrate processes between the cores, yeah. right? Because uh, you've got the big cores will have more registers and things like that and, you know, perhaps larger caches. And so if you migrate from one to another, then suddenly you have to throw a load of stuff out of this super fast memory. And what if you throw the wrong stuff out? You can, you kind of get, um, I think, a lot of the same issues as branch prediction going wrong is, is, a, is a risk. So I think managing the cache and how you... It's it's like migrating processes and the problems you have going to multi-processing from single processing, yeah. but kind of worse because it's asymmetrical. Yeah, so I mean, having a quick look at the software models that um, ARM provide for this, they've got three options. There's cluster migration, which is where you group all the big ones, all the big cores together, all the little cores together, and then you switch the OS switches between them, and has that. There's no fine-grained control over that at all. There's CPU migration where each big core is paired with a little core and then you can migrate jobs between each pair which makes the cache situation a little bit simpler because each cache is only shared by two of the processors and then sorry cores and then there is global task scheduling where the cpu can see all the cores they can be active all the time and then the the switching story is a bit more like symmetric multiprocessing on an already dual core chip or a four core chip um, but then occasionally you can choose not to run say um, the big core or the small core yeah so we'll put some links in the show notes about this and then um, just asking for a friend but do you think a magic keyboard is IP67 um, if you lost <laughs> some of your beer like... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a small amount yeah <laughs> um, uh, roll an IP67 keyboard it okay. seems to still work it's fine well uh, report back <laughs> in the next episode yeah, so the performance of this A10 chip is very exciting. I think there's been some interesting leaks there. Well, we did get we did get a, a graph with no labels on the axes. You know, gotta love those Bezos graphs yeah. as they're known. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was, I was looking at some stats on this, so the very little we do know about this. So they did say 3.3 billion transistors, right? Yep. Um, and you're obvious. My, my instant reaction whenever anyone says a number that I'm obviously supposed to think that's a big number is I kind of think, is it a big number? Yep. Um, so I went and did some digging, obviously. Um, do you know what else has got? Yeah, guess what other CPUs might have 3.3 billion transistors, and I'll tell you, tell you if you're, you're higher or lower. Oh, I don't know. Like, um, the, the, I don't know what they call them now, the Core M Intel CPUs. Oh, no, you're way off. Okay. You, okay, you just so, have to tell me then. <laughs> all right. Uh, also worth roughly 3.3 billion transistors is uh, an 8-core Intel Itanium. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, a 6-core Sandy Bridge i7 Extreme Edition. Yep. It's got 3. Th- it's got, um, sorry, not 3.3. It's got 2.3 billion transistors. Okay. In an i7 Sandy Bridge. It's, that's, it's an insanely large chip, mm. this thing, in your phone, right? Yep. The same as a high-end workstation from, you know, less than five years ago. Yeah. So the 
the A8X in the um, Air 2. So it's the, the weird, the only previous... It was, uh, it was a three-core. It's a three-core. Yeah. It's got three billion transistors. A regular A8 had two billion. Okay. So 3.3 billion for two big cores and two small cores, plus all the other stuff in the SSC. It sounds obviously about right, but... yeah. It's that's just an enormously complex CPU. I mean, if anyone doesn't know what an Intel Itanium is, it's crazy uh, 64-bit server chips before everything went x86-64. And, uh, yeah, 6-core Extreme Edition i7 from Sandy Ridge, which is relatively modern. I mean, to some extent, you, you kind of think, well, of course the A10 has got more transistors because it's an SoC. It's doing way more than just these CPUs. Yeah. But, I mean, we're talking about enormous 140 watt cpus here a similar number of transistors this is really quite something it really is yeah i think uh, speaking about itanium i definitely like to do a like a topic on t- itanium in the future it's a super interesting um, piece of silicon um but getting back to the a10 the big little thing makes it now makes it hard to estimate how many transistors are in each core and then sort of work out relative performance or um, die sizes between the different years models of the mm. Apple chip. It'd be interesting to see what the analysts managed to do with that. Um, yeah, there'd d- definitely be something soon. Someone's going to be trying to tear one down as we speak, I'm sure. Um, anything else to cover about that? I think we've kind of covered everything here. Yeah, I think that was it. I mean, until we actually get one of these and try them out. There was so- some leaked, there was some Geekbench uh, benchmarks appeared for the A10 um, yesterday, I think. Um, and it is almost as powerful as the MacBook, the current Retina MacBook CPU, just the standard one. That's insane. Yeah, in a phone. And it is very, very nearly as powerful as the CPU in the current 12.9-inch iPad Pro. Yeah, which is also insane. That thing's crazy. I mean, mainly it's crazy for its GPU performance, so it would be interesting to see that measured. Yeah. Um, So I guess, guess actually, the final thing we should have, um, total first impressions, are you getting one? Which one? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to get um, mostly because of the camera. Um, uh, I've had a last two years. I got a six. I got a six S. I think I'll get a seven standard size one, not the plus. Um, I guess I'll get the middle one, 128 gigabytes, and I'm going to get it in the non-scratchy black. Yeah, the black, black, black. Yeah, black. Yeah, yeah. not jet black. Not jet black. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really tempted by the dual camera one because there's also I really want to kind of. Uh, poke into it and see what's going on there but um i'm a bit worried it'll be about one million dollars in the in the uk <laughs> yeah they've not announced uk pricing yet or i've not seen it anyway um and with that dual camera i wouldn't be surprised if it got more expensive yeah um yeah and of course we're we're not going to talk about the headphone jack that's just everyone else will <laughs> yeah every, everyone else can gripe and complain about that um i'll just miss and that. there's nothing in detail we could say about the wireless just yet so we won't. Yeah, I think yeah, we've we've possibly got some speculation, but it's not even worth going into. So. Yeah, we'll save that for some follow up when we maybe know a bit more. Okay. Okay. So I think uh, thanks for listening to this uh, special edition of Pin Count. Uh, if you have any follow up or anything that you think we missed, then please write to us at wrong on the internet at pincountpodcast dot com, or tweet us at, at pincountpodcast, or I'm on at the underscore accidental, or you can get Doug at Douglas F. Shearer.